Bitcoin for the first time gives you the sovereign and and particular right to your finances to spend, to trade. And that's something we didn't know that the government couldn't take away from you. Bitcoin is the manifestation of the God-given right to have your value. Hello there. How are you all? You having a good week? What's been going on for you guys? You know what? I've had so much feedback on this Michael Sunshine show. Uh, not all positive, mainly positive. A lot of people saying I uh, push back on them well, but a bunch of people saying I push too hard. Not really my normal type of interview, but uh, happy to do it. And you know what? I'm happy to have Michael back on the show if he wants to come on. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got a very special show for you. I know I say this all the time, but this was a very special show. So when we were in New York recently on our most recent Sprinter shows, we recorded a WBD live event with Junseth, but it was special for a couple of reasons. Actually, firstly, let me give a shout out to PubKey and Thomas for all their hospitality while we were there. They hosted the event and we were recording all our podcasts that week above the bar. Uh, so big shout out to them guys. If you're in New York, definitely go and check out PubKey. But this show was pretty special because uh, a couple of people arrived by surprise. So firstly, Rich Roll was there. Now, if you don't know Rich, he's a massively super successful podcaster. And when I decided to become a podcaster, it was because of him. I reached out to him and said, listen, I love what you're doing. How do I do it? And he supported me the whole way, told me what to do, how to do it. And coincidentally, he was in New York while we were there. So he came, he was on the front row. So that was kind of weird and a little bit intimidating because uh, he's been a mentor and a good friend of mine for years. But also Luke Martin turned up, who was the very first person to come on What Bitcoin Did, WBD001, back in LA five and a half years ago. And Luke flew in for the show. So that was very cool. Very cool to have those there. And then also just have Jinseth. He's the perfect person to kick it off. Started off with some singing for us, and then we got into ordinals and threw a bunch of questions in from the crowd. Now, we're going to be doing more of these live events. We got one booked on April the 14th in the UK. That's around, well, it's the day before the final Rail Bedford home game of the season. So if you want to come out for that and come to the game, we've got a whole bunch of activities planned, and we've got another one in Miami around the conference. It's all up on the whatbitcoindid.com website. Just go to WBD Live. You can find out more about it there, and we're going to be doing hopefully about eight of these over the year. Anyway... If you've got any questions about this, anything else, please do give me a shout. You can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Or come and join our Patreon. Jump into the Discord and start discussing these shows with us. That's patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. How good is Jim Seth this singing? Hey, everybody. I heard, I heard people paid for this. <laughs> So we always have him on the podcast, but we don't actually want to talk to him about Bitcoin. No. We just want to hear him sing. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a big room. It's, it's I don't think, have you ever done a live show? We did a little one in Nashville last year. That was like a first test. All right. Uh, now we're preparing to do a run. This is the, the next proper test. Okay. Uh, uh, there's a little special thing about this one this evening. So does anyone know the reason why I started a podcast? Does anyone know who inspired me? Did it? Motherfucker's here. Oh, wow. So, uh, for those who don't know, uh, you ever seen one of those creepy films where someone tries to steal somebody's life? <laughs> uh, I couldn't do the vegan ultra-athlete version, so I did the fat degenerate Bitcoin version, but I met Rich in Italy six, five, six years ago? It's all a blur. It's all a blur. And uh, Rich was put on an event. It was a, a yoga... A yoga like meditation, vegan retreat. He looks I'm very one. flexible to me. I've never seen him. He before, looks younger but... than me. 
And he's, uh, it was a, an amazing thing. And at the end of it, I th- he might have said this to everyone, but he was like, if you're ever in LA, LA, look me up. So I got back to Bedford and like immediately booked a flight to LA. I said, oh, <laughs> hi, I'm here. And I was like, I want to be a podcaster. How do you do it? Rich uh, sent me a course and the equipment I needed it. I booked, uh, I went on Amazon and bought it all. And then coincidentally, Luke Martin's here behind him. I contacted Luke and I was like, I want to make a show. And and Luke, Luke said, let's do it. And both people are coincidentally here. So I'm very proud of that. Nice. Uh, it's very cool. So this is our first one of these live events. I feel under a lot of pressure with Rich here because he's like my Bitcoin, uh, sorry, podcast idol. He looks very non-judgmental though, Peter. He is. <laughs> he's here judging me. Uh, so this is the first of many live events we want to do. I think it's a really cool thing to get out and see some of you. We asked Junthes to come in. You all know Danny, producer Danny. What up? Uh, Jeremy's on the camera somewhere. Uh, we don't really have any house rules, uh, but um, we've learned what works and what doesn't. Uh, I shouldn't run the ticketing on the door uh, is one of the things. But anyway, listen, what we're going to do, me and Jun Seth are going to have a chat about Bitcoin and some Bitcoin stuff. Um, I'm going to go totally off script with all of it. And then we'll open up the floor. We'll do some Q&A. And if you don't have many questions, we'll go back to... Singing. Back to singing. <laughs> we'll do a bit of Bitcoin karaoke. and. And then we'll go from there. So how you been, Jinseth? Before we start... I'm enjoying this can, tradition. Can, I, can oh. I just shout something out? If we're filming everything, so if anyone doesn't want their face on camera, can you put your hand up and we'll try and make sure you blurred out in the video? <laughs> we got one. We got one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you haven't got a seat, I'm sorry. Uh, I think a few people have turned up without tickets and walked in, but uh, so be it. This isn't great for my OPSEC. S- steal this CD. I, I believe in that. Uh, how are you, man? Good. I, I feel like this is becoming a tradition now. So, like, uh, I think this is what, episode four, I think I've done with you. Four or three. five? Four or five? Five, five, four. Seth is the original Bitcoin podcaster. If you've never listened to Bitcoin Uncensored, it's still the original, still the best Bitcoin podcast ever. Best podcast ever. Ever. I think it was. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a while, though. I think we haven't done it since 2017. And then uh, we, Chris and I famously didn't talk for many years, and then we came together on your show and did a show together and then in Miami Florida you came to Fort Lauderdale we huddled in a room took our clothes off we took our clothes off and like sat there at a little table uh about about that big the thing that makes this weirder we didn't used to video our podcast then yeah, so we just, literally just took our shirts off yeah, and made true. a show and uh yeah like uh Jin Seth is an inspiration to all who did it but yeah this is like number four man yeah this is fun though I, I it's weird to see a lot of people in the room. It's weird to see people it's who actually weird. care. Yeah, well, they're... yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so we were going to talk about Bitcoin and democracy, but I think it would be ridiculous if we didn't actually start with Bitcoin and ordinals. Oh, yeah, everyone's talking ordinals now. Yeah, everyone's talking ordinals. Yeah. Uh, I had a hot discussion with Rob Hamilton today. I heard. Lucky there was a table between us. Got a bit feisty. I heard you were an ass. I uh, know. I, <laughs> I was just. Fa- I was factual. Uh, so. Should we explain what ordinals are to everyone in the room? Yeah, sure. So ordinals, uh, as I understand them, and, and I guess Rob is here so he can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, ordinals are basically inscriptions, pictures that you put that are permanently in the blockchain and they're contained in the signature header, I believe, or in the header of, uh, Rob says, kind of. But they're, uh, they're in the signature section, so they're permanent. They're, but they're prunable. Um, and there's a lot of controversy because a lot of people think that this is you know blockchain bloat and uh, that this is not what Bitcoin's for. I think you might be one of them. I'm, I'm, if you say one side is completely against it, one side is completely for it, I'm, go to the center ground, I'm just to the left. I'm just kind of against it. 
Why are you against it? Uh, I think I think what it is is that the more I've done the show, the more I've made the show. It's been about how if we're trying to create the best form of money, the, if the goal is let's create the best money, and uh, as I go around and do podcasts and films and meet people, I always say we're trying to make the best form of money. I was asking myself, does this make Bitcoin better money, net better or net worse? And I think I just come out on net worse. Yeah. I think it makes it, I think it does nothing. I think this is a beanie baby. I think it's a, a point in time. By the way, how many beanie babies do you own? I have a lot of beanie babies. I'm a beanie baby collector. I collect them for the reason that I, uh, for the same, there's actually a, a Financial Times article about my beanie baby collection. Um, this is a true story. <laughs> I've been collecting beanie babies for a really long time. I was, uh, back in the 90s, uh, as a kid, I was like making my dad run around and, uh, you know, uh, to get the teeny beanies and everything else. But for me, Beanie Babies are an important reminder, uh, particularly about collectibles, that you don't become attached to things. Um, I remember back in the 90s, I would watch these people go buy Beanie Babies and they would tell me like, Humphrey the Camel is going to pay for your college someday. You know, they'd say this to their like husbands or their wives. Like, that's why I'm collecting all these. And, you know, they didn't. So after... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and now I, I have this little blog I run. It's a Beanie Baby blog. And I get, I get emails probably three to five a day of people sending me pictures of their collections and asking me how much they're worth. And the answer every time is $5 <laughs> to all of them. And, and I'm, not, like, I'm not kidding. They, they have stored these things for 40 or for 40 years, for, for 20-some years, 25, maybe 30 years. And they have these uh, three by, you know, four plastic bins. They'll have like, 10 of them filled with the same Beanie Baby. And it's like every day, three to five of these emails. So Beanie Babies for me are this kind of important reminder that you don't stay attached to things. And uh, for me, like, uh, you know, it's it's been an important lesson, particularly as like a, a lot of this NFT stuff has happened and now ordinals have happened. I think a lot of people look at ordinals. Uh, there's people making money on this. They're selling these Satoshis at a premium and they're making money selling these Satoshis. And like, I think there's a lot of FOMO. It's, it's easy in the space mm -hmm. to get excited and feel like you're missing out. But I, I look at this stuff and I'm like, I've seen this before. This is, this is just Beanie Babies. It's temporary, might last five years, might be 10 years, doesn't matter. Ordinals to me aren't important and they're just a blip. And I, I also think it's a really good thing because Bitcoin is supposed to be an anti-fragile system. And if ordinals are bad, then this doesn't work. If, the, if 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 we are if ordinals break Bitcoin, Bitcoin is broken. My my uh, the thing I push back against that is I think ordinals came by mistake. Doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Like if you find a place, if you find a hole in Bitcoin, uh, I think as a, as a good Bitcoiner, it's your obligation to exploit it. Stick your finger in it and like wiggle it around. Maybe fix it. I don't. It's up to someone else to fix. You don't know what the fix is. Like, here's the thing. There's no specific fix, right? Like, you think about the fixes to ordinals. We can fork. That's a terrible option. Uh, what do we, like, reduce the chain size? I don't know. Like, maybe uh, add some op codes and allow drive chain or something like that. I don't know. Like, what's the fix? And the only way that we'll know is by fighting it out in the community. That's, so it has to be right. a public battle. And not just that. Like, it could very well be that people are going to dedicate themselves to the fight for or against ordinals. And what we find out is that the fees and maybe the next bull run or whatever the hell it is, that the fees start taking care of it. Like these things are going to be very expensive to mint in a world where people are using the chain. Let's have a show. Who likes ordinals? Gays. <laughs> Come on. Uh, who thinks they make Bitcoin better money? So not a single person. I think they're too embarrassed to say. Well, who thinks they make Bitcoin worse money? Oh, 
Okay, two. Oh, so people just don't people <laughs> like, just don't want to put their hands up. Like, I just think it's, who doesn't just, like putting their hands up? What I watch is who's who's neutral on ordinals. There you go. Yeah, that's. I think that's the right position. Like I think neutrality on this is just just sit in the middle and just watch it happen. Like there's a lot of things in Bitcoin that I've watched over the years that have like been big fights. Uh, way back in the day, Counterparty XCP was a big one. Colored coins. Um, Luke Dash Jr. putting uh, the Allegius prayer in the blockchain many years ago. Go look at those uh, discussions in Bitcoin Forum. People were really, really mad. I put Genesis 1 in the blockchain many years ago for like, you know, it, like it, lots of people have done this. You can write messages on Bitcoin. It's been it's, for years. You've so been we able to do try this and break it. Well, every, Bitcoin is there to break. Try to break it. I dare you. Uh, this is what everyone tells, you know, like I talk about like the, the regulation of New York. People come up to me like, oh, New York's about to regulate Bitcoin. They're not going to let miners in. I'm like, okay, great. There's, there's never been a better time for governments to regulate Bitcoin than now. Try it. Go ahead. Let's see what happens. If Bitcoin breaks because of regulation, if Bitcoin breaks because of ordinals, if Bitcoin breaks because Luke Dash Jr. puts a prayer on it, if it breaks because XCP uh, does whatever, like if it breaks because of these, this doesn't work. It's not an anti-fragile system. Either this is money or it's not. And if it's if it's like a precious little baby, then it doesn't work. There's no other chain that's, that's tested. And that's the thing, like, this is why like, uh, you know, Bitcoin maximalism for me is, is sort of a bit of a sacred cow because no other chain has been tested or will be tested to the degree that Bitcoin is and has been. And there's absolutely no other chain that can withstand the scrutiny of Bitcoin. Goes back to what Harry Suddick says. Everything's good for Bitcoin. Everything's good for Bitcoin. Everything's good for Bitcoin. He's right. Apart from Bitcoin dying. Well, it, it, if Bitcoin dies, it's, it's good for us. We should know. Mm. You know, we like I've a lot of us have dedicated a large portion of our time to caring about this. And it's stupid to care about. It's cash money, right? Like this this year, we're in a bar. We're at PubKey. Uh, shout out to PubKey. Uh, and this this is a bar dedicated to cash money. We call it Bitcoin. But that's kind of stupid. Like, yeah, like you ever been to a bar? Like, hey, we're really into cash money, bro. Like, this is really, like, that's what we're into. This is like, that's what Bitcoin is. And the reason that, it, the reason that it's kind of like we're all into it is because, like, no one else thinks it's cash money but us. Like, we all know the secret. This is cash money. It's great. So like we come here together, we high five each other about how we know it's cash money. Well, when Bitcoin is like, if there's a world in which Bitcoin is treated as cash money by everybody, if everybody understands that, this is kind of gay. And I mean that in the pejorative sense. Like we're, we're all like, like we're going to go to PubQ like, yeah, Bitcoin. Like, no, like, no, we're just going to be like, I, this is what I buy and pay my taxes with and stuff. And like, if that's, if that's what we do, that's what we do. But if not, then, you know, this is a subculture right now. And it's a subculture because we are touching this dirty stuff. It is dirty. It's money. It's Money's definitely a dirty. subculture. At the moment. Yeah. But it doesn't work if it remains a subculture. Like, I think everyone here is hoping that Bitcoin someday is not a subculture. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, you can make plenty of solid arguments that uh, the tentacles are kind of stretching out beyond uh, being a subculture. I think it has to, yeah. right? If this works, it has to. And that's, you know, and I don't really care how it comes in. Like, ordinals are really interesting because if you look at the way that the communities responded, we have a bunch of these new people coming in. Uh, previous to this, they were in beep coins and, um, you know, they were, they were in shit coins. They were you in can Ethereum. Say, you can say shit. I know that. I just want to, <laughs> we don't swear on this podcast. Uh, they were, they were in shit coins. They were on Ethereum or whatever. They were doing their NFT stuff. Um, I know a couple of guys that are like doing the ordinal stuff. They're shilling them, you know, they're selling them. They're car salesmen. They're like, you know, they got the, uh, the clubhouse we were sitting there the other day. Someone described it like one of these guys like has a trench coat. He opens up like a lot an ordinal, you know? So like these guys are, these guys are all doing the, uh, 
they're, 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 they're shilling their ordinals and, and these Ethereum guys are coming here, they're buying them. And I've heard that a lot of them are like sitting in the background being like, yeah, we're going to dump these on these dumb Bitcoiners at some point. And all the Bitcoiners are like, welcome to Bitcoin. We're not buying that shit, but like, welcome. We're glad you're here. And what these Ethereum guys are doing is they're now being tricked into like running full nodes. <laughs> They're running full nodes. Node nodes. Uh, they're running full nodes. They're supporting the network. Uh, they're buying Bitcoin. Literally, they're they're paying more money for a Satoshi than a Satoshi is worth. Like you can sell a Satoshi for like a hundred Satoshis. Like weird. Um, yeah, but that's no different. People collecting dollar bills with serial numbers on them. Yeah, on those. yeah. Well, but isn't that weird that we have like numismatism in in Bitcoin? Yeah, but hold on, you collected Beanie Babies. Yeah, everyone has a thing they collect. Yeah, but I collected them after they were popular. So that's like, that, like that's what you want to do. Like if you want to buy ordinals, if you want to buy a sub 10,000 ordinal or a sub 500 ordinal, wait 20 years, do what I did. And then like, they'll be worth nothing. <laughs> but this is like, this is a weird moment in Bitcoin's history. Because what we're seeing now is fees, fees on the blockchain are going up. We've always known that fees have to go up. We don't know how. Um, the drive chain guys think that drive chain is going to drive fees up and we need to have merge mining. Maybe they're right. Other people have other solutions. Other people don't care. They're neutral on it. I tend to be, with regard to fees, the way that I am with everything in Bitcoin. And I'm just, I think uh, the was, uh, there are more things in heaven and earth than even you can conceive of. Horatio, is that the famous quote? Uh, I, I have that attitude towards Bitcoin. There are all these problems that we have in Bitcoin. There are all sorts of them, thousands and thousands of problems, whether it's fees, whether it's the construction of transactions or, you know, whatever the, whatever the heck it is, the, the speed of downloading the chain, so many problems. And the solution is not the one that you've conceived of. There are a lot of, like, if you've conceived of it, so has someone smarter than you. And there's a lot of people smarter than you. I don't know who you are. Maybe you're Albert Einstein. Maybe I'm wrong. But, like, for 99% of us, there are a lot of people who are smarter than us. And they've already conceived of this. So the solutions are not going to be simple because even the, the smartest people here don't know them. And, like, you know, we complain about something like fees. It seems like the solution might be, I don't know, drive chain where you have merge mine, or the solution might be like uh, changing the way that um, the transaction, like requiring uh, that a normal transaction have higher fees or something like that, whatever the case is. You might have a, a thousand solutions or a standard transaction might have higher fees, like something like that. So like maybe those are the solutions, but who thought, who in, their, who in this room thought that maybe the solution was allowing us to put a picture of dick butt on the blockchain? 50 Bitcoin for that dick butt. I, I know that. And, and uh, American Hoddle's here, actually, in the audience. He was offered that dick butt for one Bitcoin, and uh, he refused to buy it. So he feels stupid. <laughs> Putting him on blast. <laughs> but, well, I, I tell you, one of the things that did, uh, I did find interesting was uh, when Rob earlier was explaining to me that... There is a big difference between NFTs on Bitcoin than on Ethereum in that the NFT is literally, the JPEG is on chain, whereas it's just a hash on something like Ethereum pointing to a database record. So do you think this will actually steal market share away from these? I don't care. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's so dumb. I mean, like, it doesn't matter where they are. There are actually uh, on-chain algorithmic, uh, algorithmic NFTs on Ethereum. Who gives two farts? Like, 
the 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 rocks they they are algorithmic they're random they're inscribed on chain on ethereum fine okay well okay so like now you have this stuff people keep telling me about all the great uses of ordinals they're like i could inscribe javascript code on ordinal or in like in an ordinal on bitcoin and then you can own the satoshi and I'm like okay so like if i have the satoshi then i'll own the javascript like it'll be mine well, no, I have the Satoshi with the transaction that the, like anyone can see it. It's on the goddamn blockchain. Like this is, this is stupid. I can go download the, the dick butt. But for some reason, if, if, if HODL had bought the Satoshi that is associated with the dick butt, then someone will pay 50 Bitcoins for it. It's stupid. This isn't going to last forever. It's, it's a temporary moment in Bitcoin's history. And like, I, I don't know if it's the, just the, the time, the, the, like the, the amount of wars that I've sat through in Bitcoin, the fights I've watched, but I just can't give two wits about it. Like these, this is going to be so short-lived. Even if it's five years from now, this is, this is a moment in Bitcoin's history. People are just excited that they found a way to do something with Bitcoin that, you know, we didn't think you could do. Uh, but you could always do some weird stuff. Like if you wanted to pay enough, you could have encoded images into like P2SH transactions or anything else. It's just, it would have been $100,000. Like it just would have been really expensive. You know, you want to put like a, all the Bitcoin uncensored episodes on Bitcoin, you could do it. It would take you a few years probably in like different transactions and like you'd have to fill up entire blocks and it would just be very, very expensive. But because of the way that we've done the SegWit discount, um, the ordinals are cheap. And it's a moment in history. An irrelevant moment in history. An irrelevant, irreverent, hilarious moment that has created the funniest political factions I've ever seen. Like, should we or should we not put dicks on the blockchain? That's like the question. And, and you know, this is a commons. And commons are made for putting dicks on. Rome knew it. We know it. Uh, I said this on Bitcoin Uncensored. This is what a commons is. I said on Bitcoin Uncensored many years ago. And, and you can go back and listen if you can find the episodes, which are hard to find. They're collectibles. Uh, you can, I said... A blockchain is a commons, and the, the goal of a commons, the, the commons that will be the best commons, the one that you will bring your sheep to, to feed on the grass of, will be the one that manages how many dicks are on their blockchain. And like Ethereum, full of dicks. There are dicks everywhere on Ethereum. Bitcoin's getting some dicks now. But like, it's, it's a temporary moment in history, and like, Bitcoin has the best dick management. And that's why this blockchain matters. I love that there's people in the bar just having Thanks a drink. Thanks for coming, everybody. To this. <laughs> Rich, you're so proud of me right now, aren't you? <laughs> but it is a, it is a commons, and like that is like the the thing is commons are for the lowest common denominator, which means you will it, like it is for the dicks. Do you like think, that's, that's, that's that's where it goes. It has think, to go there. Do you think part of this is a period where nothing really much has happened? Uh, we're bored. Yeah, Bitcoiners are bored. This is graffiti. Yeah. Yeah, we like graffiti. Like some graffiti is art and some is dick butts. But like, no, it, it is. Bitcoiners are bored right now. Uh, there's nothing happening. The price is stagnant. When when you, I mean, this is like the, what is it? The, the idle hands of the devil's playground. Uh, leave a bunch of techno nerds um, who, you know, who have infinite amounts of time, who probably have more money than they should uh, because they've been holding Bitcoin for too long. And you give them time and like a platform that they can do anything they want on, you get dick butts. 
on the blockchain. That's, that's just the way it works. Like every time that like Bitcoin's bear market, bear markets are for building. Some things, some things are very relevant. And you know, like there may be things that are that ordinals are good for. I don't know. There might be. Probably not. Maybe. Maybe it's more than JPEGs. Like I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the technology is there that people can explore and try things. Um, maybe we see inscriptions of I don't know. Uh, like anchor links for torrents, but you could do that in op return. There's all sorts of ways, like you could, like there are ways to have written things on Bitcoin before. This is the first time that anyone seems to have been excited about it. I don't know why, um, but this is just a period. And yeah, you're right, it is because we're bored. But do you think therefore there are other things we could or should be working on? Well, Casey did the ordinal stuff and Casey decided to spend his time doing that, right? Like this is an anarchic kind of weird place. And every developer gets to spend their time doing the thing they want. And if uh, if pictures on the blockchain are a thing that one developer thinks are important, and, and like you know, honestly, it's probably important for the reason that I think no one had realized that this might be the effects of the SegWit discount. And in Bitcoin, like irony is important, uh, particularly when attacking the chain in a in a sense. When you do something that people will disagree with or think of as like a problem, it's very important to do it. Uh, to do it with irony. I think images are a good way for this to have happened. Um, what other sorts of attacks could this cheap block space have caused? What developers saw it? Luke Dash Jr. saw this. He's been advocating for smaller blocks for a long time. Doesn't mean you couldn't put images on the chain, but it would mean that ordinals would be much more expensive to put on the chain. Has he, has he blocked ordinals on knots? I imagine so, but I don't know. He's, he's got some kind of a filter that he's been trying to get people to deploy in their nodes to prune this to prune the space. Uh, you know, it is, it's interesting because it brings up other discussions, stuff that we've already discussed, stuff that like we discussed on Bitcoin Uncensored, but also like other people have discussed. Like Bitcoin, one of the, one of the features of Bitcoin is its immutability. This is a thing that like we've talked about. Bitcoin is this thing that it moves forward, can't really move back. You can't unglue things from it. Once it's in there, it's in there permanently. That's, I mean, that's the idea. Um, this is probabilistically true. It's not, it's not definitely true, but it's, more than likely true, right, to the 12 nines. Um, so Bitcoin is impossible to unwind. It's immutable. Well, certain parts of it are. What if everybody pruned these, these parts of the transaction? What if everybody did? What if everyone pruned op return? You know, like there are elements of the blockchain that are maybe less mutable, that are more immutable than other parts, which I think is another interesting discussion and uh, one that's worth having. Meanwhile, like all of these people that are into ordinals, again, are running completely full nodes. And that's that to me is interesting that there may have been 10,000 new nodes added or maybe 20,000 new nodes added in the last two weeks. And like that just strengthens Bitcoin. Can we get a node count? Yep. Yes. Um, I mean, you look, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been around for a long time. Do you still like have passion and conviction for it? Or do you tend to sit back and look at it more as an observer these days? I'm like always, a commentator. I've always viewed myself as John Madden in Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, like Bitcoin Uncensored, again, was colored commentary. Um, color commentary. I don't mean to be offensive racially. Uh it was, it was, uh, so Bitcoin Uncensored was color commentary for the most part. I always felt like we were sitting in like a stadium watching all the players on the field, those players being like Bitcoin, shit coins, everything else, and just like watching them fight and then just like pointing at them and laughing. And that, like, I, I still think that that's the proper role, particularly for like non technical people. I'm not a super technical person. Um, my biggest competency is like fart jokes, dick butt jokes now I'm moving into, but like a lot of this, 
a lot of like that's my competency. You know, Chris was more technical than I was uh, on the show, but like I understand Bitcoin uh, at a more philosophical level. Do you I do care? get it. Do I care about what? Do you care about some of the ideas people have for Bitcoin and growing and becoming money that's adopted wider? Uh, I don't. I don't care what Bitcoin does. Do you care what Bitcoin did? <laughs> I do care a lot about what Bitcoin did. Uh, I, I, I am. I feel very much like the biographer in some ways, uh, or one of the biographers of Bitcoin. I, I know that we have something very important. I'm pretty sure, and I want to know. And and I don't think that there's any of us that can command it to go in any direction, one way or the other. We are here to kind of serve it in some sense. Like Bitcoin is this thing, it's amorphous. We don't really know what it's for. There's a bunch of people who looked at it, like it's it's like Jed Clampett putting his like, you know, thing in the ground and up comes oil. Like that's kind of what happened with Bitcoin. We see this thing, we're like, that's weird, what is that? And you kind of taste it and you're like, oh, it's, it tastes like money, weird. And like, we don't know what that's, we don't know exactly what it's good for. Uh, El Salvador is trying to see if it's good for nation states. Is it? I don't know. Like, uh, I was talking to a gentleman today, said that the crime in uh, El Salvador is way down. Is it because of Bitcoin? Maybe. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of experiments that we're running and a lot of people are running that are going to teach us a lot about what Bitcoin will do. Um, there's a lot of things that we've done in the past that teach us what Bitcoin can do. And there's a lot of people just trying, you know, throwing shit at the wall now. We don't know what Bitcoin is. It's, it's, it's this pseudo-invention that I think... Probably, if, if Satoshi didn't do it, someone would have done it at some point, put all of these components together. It would have been constructed very similarly. And many of the things that are in Bitcoin would be in whatever that was. It would look almost exactly alike. And, uh, and I don't know what it will do. But, and, and there's not, no one here powerful enough to direct it in any given way. So like this thing will, I don't know, maybe it'll do remittances. We don't know. Maybe it'll remove the government from remittances. Maybe, it, maybe as the libertarians say, it's going to remove money from the hands of the printer, the, the government printer. Maybe. Maybe it removes, you know, maybe it removes the state from money completely. You know, maybe it puts the hand, in, in the hands of sovereign individuals all of the power. We don't know. We, we theorize that these are things that it can do. And we are at the beginning stages of some of the experiments that may make that stuff possible. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm not selling you Bitcoin right now, are you? I hope you're not. Now, I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've also set up a DCA with twice monthly Bitcoin buys, and I've been stacking sats all through this bear market. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did, all you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep all my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi 2.0 makes Bitcoin privacy effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join like in Wasabi 1, this is all done automatically. So all you need to do is receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can send privately. 
all the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, something you know I'm always moaning on about. Now, you also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't need to leak your IP address, and there is no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I'm taking a lot more seriously, and Wasabi 2 makes this so much easier. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also today we have Fortress. Now 4% of all Bitcoin transactions on an MOM basis go through Fortress, which equates to $7.7 billion since their inception in 2017, of which 3.6 billion happened last year, 2022, last year alone. Now Bitcoin is more than just a holding asset. We see large organizations already using it in their day-to-day operations. And if you want to do this, you do not need to overhaul your system. You simply need to integrate Fortress to handle all your Bitcoin treasury operations. If you want to find out more about this, please head over to Fortress.com, which is F-O-R-T-R-I-S.com. What would you say it has done then? Um, Bitcoin made it really easy for people who are addicted to drugs to get them more easily. Um, well, it, it's true though. Like, but there's a different. Actually, you could, there is a spin on that, which is a, a highly relevant point. Yeah, you know, you you make the joke for people addicted to drugs together, but actually, what it did is it it did remove crime. Well, there's a lot of crime from the drug market and the drug policy alliance. Other than that evil man Ross Ulbricht. Yeah. No, like no, but it, t- it, it Bitcoin, took Bitcoin it has, took away the person to person interaction for the right. consumption of the, drugs. The, the way that money works right now is that the government prints it. And they give it to the banks basically to distribute. And those banks, like libertarians and others, call this evil. I I think it's somewhat neutral. Like, I don't know how else you would do it. That's called the Cantillon effect. Like, basically, those that are closest to the money printer, they get the best. They get the most from uh, the effects of printing money. They they basically get to thrive and grift off of um, the the not numismatic value. What's it called? Well, the uh, the printing of money, right? The, the profits of printing money. Bitcoin has sort of a reverse Cantillon effect where those who have been shut out of the money system, they needed something. Whether whether it's immigrants, whether it's people who are buying or selling drugs. So Bitcoin had this like weird thing where they like it started, the people that had most access to it were the people that had the least access to the the Cantillon effect as a whole. So it's it's got this weird thing where like prostitutes got it first, drug dealers got it first, people in the inner city needed it most and got it first. And it's kind of like trickled up. And now we're at the stage where it's like, you know, family offices are like, do I need this in my portfolio? Which is weird because that's the end of the chain. Well, an interesting thing of that is I spoke to somebody recently and they worked on the institutional side and they said, look, there's zero interest from institutions now. They took a look and they don't like it. And I think the problems for institutions is for it to be relevant, they have to take a big bet and to take a big bet is a huge risk. So it continues to bubble up for those and me, most of those have got the smallest amount of money because they got the least at risk. Yes, but but more than that, like institutions, when they take a big bet, we're not talking like the size of bet that many of us might think of. It's not like $10 million. Like they're not, I remember way, way back, it was like when Bitcoin had a, a market cap of $5 million, I was on a bus with a banker from Goldman Sachs, good friend of mine. And I told him about, I was talking to him about Bitcoin. And I said, you know, if I were, if I were Goldman, I would take a small position in, in this five, you know, it's $5 million. Like that's, it's so small. 
And so like he laughs and he's like, if we were going to do anything, like we would short the whole thing. And then, but there's no money in it. And I didn't realize then how much money they were dealing with. Like $5 million is like, is tiny. And now what are we? We're like uh, nearly a trillion dollar market cap. But like you, you still, you still can't make easily like a five, 10, $20 billion bet. Well, they half a million, half a billion or uh, half a trillion dollar market cap probably, right? Yeah, 450 at the moment. Million. But yeah. we were at nearly a trillion at one we time. Were, we were over like 1.2 yeah. at one point, yeah. 1.3, yeah. So we're small. Like these, these institutions can't make a bet on this yet. The thing is, back, back then when Bitcoin had a $5 million market cap, people at Goldman were laughing. And now they're actually taking seriously the possibility that at some point they might have to make a bet. They're looking at it seriously and deciding that they don't like it. Fine. That's a really different position than like, ha ha, that's so small, we can't do anything. Like now it's like, maybe at some point we'll have to make a bet and put this into our portfolio. It's a very different position. And, and Bitcoin just kind of knocking away, knocking away, knocking away at all of these little financial institutions. And at some point it's going gonna, it's gonna to be required that these financial institutions have some exposure, lest people won't give them their money. It's probably weird for some of the people in here to hear that, like Bitcoin being a $5 million market cap, because they weren't around then. But I thought that was huge. I had $10, so. <laughs> but like, how was it? Would like, was, was it fundamentally still kind of the same? Was the community still kind of the same? Or are we, are we in a very different place now? Uh, no, uh, there, it, it was weirder. Uh, here's the thing, like to come into Bitcoin early, you have to be kind of nuts. And what's been strange to me is to watch like adults walk into Bitcoin and have people come in here who I like look respectable. They have suits on. Uh, women came pretty late compared to the men. Like the men came first. Uh, then women are getting here. There's like a lot of them. Uh, we're getting really competent women now in Bitcoin that are like doing things. Um, like this is a, an asset that was like high risk. The most retarded people got in first. They bought a lot of it and they held. And now they're like those same people that are like billionaires now are like peeing in bottles and holding them in hotel rooms. You know, like that's the that's the level of person that was early. And and now we have people who like actually they manage funds. Um, you know, there's there's people like putting together insurance companies, like real financial products are coming to this space run by real adults. Uh, and, who, and, and Bitcoin is seeing, seeing an, an evolution from the non-professional to the professional class. And I think that's really strange. It's probably necessary and good, but it's weird because again, like Bitcoin Uncensored, the whole idea was, our idea was that we would be uh, we were the only ones that knew anything about this. So you had to invite us and we'd come in our underwear. And then your Goldman Sachs, like, well, you can't wear that in here. Like, then you don't get to hear about Bitcoin. And then they would be like, okay, okay fine. You, only you can wear underwear into the boardroom. And so like, that was that was the idea was like, you, you tell us that we're stupid for playing with this thing. Good on you. Great. You're right. We're stupid. Uh, oh, now you want to hear about it. Great. Oh, we'll talk to you about it, but you have to let us do our thing because you guys are the actual rubes, but the rubes are here now. And uh, the professional class is here and they still haven't figured it out. They have to go through their shitcoining. Shitcoining has to happen before you Bitcoin. I don't know why. It's a necessary thing. Everyone has to go through it. 
And so like all the professionals are here and they have to like shit on Bitcoin for a few more years because they have to lose all their money first. Just like all of us did. (laughs) They have to find out why Ethereum is total BS. They have to find out why Ripple is stupid. They have to find out that all of these things that they think are done on blockchain either can't be done on blockchain or Bitcoin can do. And it's going to take them a while. I was in the Moxie the other night, uh, just as uh, we'd finished our um, a day, and I was just sat in the bar on my own, and some girl came up. She wanted to charge her phone. And she said, oh, what are you working on? I was like, I'm just, you know, just doing a bit of work. I've got a podcast. I was like, what do you do? She said, I work in film. I was like, oh, uh, what kind of films do you make? She said, oh, we're making a film about you know, AI and the cross-section with blockchain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Told you how I've been predicting. Uh, I've been predicting this next. Uh, uh, this next pump is going to be uh, AI projects. And so I think. I think that's like the, the every every uh, every pump with Bitcoin has come with a level of stupidity uh, and another stupid thing. So a couple of years, like it last couple of pumps ago, it was ICOs where everybody was going public. Uh, they weren't going public, but they were selling you crap, and all of those went to zero. This last one, it's been NFTs. So we've been debating what the next one is. I think it's going to be uh, blockchains that promise rides to the moon, literal rides, and uh, do AI. No, we found out what it is, didn't we? What's that? The IFO. The IFO, the initial farm offering. Yeah, apparently. Farm? Initial farm offering. Farm stuff is getting big now. People like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, none of these have anything to do with blockchains. And you know, you know what's funny? Like, there's a company out there called Mas- Masterworks. You ever heard of this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Masterworks started offering fractional art. Um, Every art piece is an LLC. You can go on their website and buy it. And I looked at this site and I was thinking, I was like, oh, it's just, this is a blockchain company. It's very clear to me. I don't, I haven't talked to the founders, but I guarantee you, if you talk to them, I'll bet you a million bucks that that idea started out as, hey guys, we could do like fractional ownership of art on a blockchain. And then as they walk through it, they realize that there actually is a business there, but it's using the traditional structures, wrapping them in an LLC, and then putting a market online and letting people trade fractional ownership in, in art. That's what you can do. You can do the same thing with farms. You can do the same thing with everything. You, but like for some reason, this notion of the blockchain enabling this has persisted to this day. And it's absolute inanity because it has nothing to do with any of these business models other than they ref, it reflects the business model. It looks like that business model. And I think that like maybe that's where Bitcoin or blockchain has contributed in that it opened up the minds of entrepreneurs to be able to do this fractional ownership stuff. I think there's a lot of uses for fractional ownership of a lot of things, but you don't need the blockchain for it. You just need a, you know, MySQL database. So where do you hope things go then? Because you've been through a lot of this, like multiple cycles. You've been through all the different kind of shitcoin projects, all the narratives that proved wrong. What do you kind of hope would happen now? I, I feel your like advice? Well, my 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 thing here has always been like I feel like uh, I I see the future in Bitcoin. Like when Vitalik coined the term blockchain uh, or Bitcoin maximalist, blockchain maximalist. When he, when he coined the term Bitcoin maximalist, maximalist, it was actually like a day or two after uh, he had a debate with me and Chris on Skype. And we've always said, and I'm fairly certain because the description in that article is basically of the debate that he was talking about us. So we, you know, we always said we were the first Bitcoin maximalists, you know, for that reason. And I, I think the reason that I latch on to this notion of Bitcoin winning ultimately is because it's so clear to me that none of this other stuff has any value. And it's just going to take so long. So what do I want? I want to be right about that. Um, 
I'd like, I, I think that once we can move past all of the money grubbing, grifting, and lies about what blockchains do, once we can like cut away the briar of that like just shit meadow, I think I think that's when we can see this technology actually begin to change the world. But until then, I think we are in a world where like I fear for the possibility of like a 1990s uh, Albania where like we end up all investing in, like we see trillions of dollars flow into what amount to Ponzi schemes and the entirety of like economies getting crushed because people are chasing wealth. And you, you, if you want to know what that looks like, just look at this last time. This last time around, people were putting their money into these Ponzi's, obvious Ponzi's, Luna. And Mike, was it Mike Alfred who had the tattoo? Who is it? Novogratz. Mike Novogratz. Novogratz. Yeah. Uh, Mike Alfred always confuses me. Yeah. Mike Novogratz had the tattoo. He confuses a lot of us. I do, yeah. Novogratz put the Luna tattoo on his arm. And uh, this is like a professional class investor that people have for many years told me is very smart. Maybe he is. Maybe he's the smartest guy in the world. I've been in like rooms with him and, you know, I've, uh, the shit coining has always bothered me because, you know, I, I thought a smart person would be beyond that. Um, but he loved Luna, put it on a tattoo, so much so that he put a tattoo of it on his arm. And, and thousands and thousands of other people did this. There were millions and millions of dollars locked up into this. And when billions. it collapsed, billions, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. billions what of dollars. What was it, 40 billion market cap at the top? I know that's as not As much made. as Madoff. Yeah. Madoff, Madoff's Ponzi was what, 40-ish billion. These people, and, the, and there's, there's some major differences. Like for example, Madoff took money from people who were wealthy. Luna took money from people who were wealthy that week because, like, they were all, you know, people like me living in their mom's basement. I'm, sorry, I'm going to challenge you on that. Madoff took money from people who weren't wealthy as well. A lot, a of, people, lot of them, yeah. There, yeah. Were, there were people that weren't wealthy, but they, they had their money with them for, like, 20 years, right? A lot of them. But he took a lot of the, a lot of the money he took was, like, people that were wealthy. Um, and, like, the, like, when that collapsed, people, like, families that were previously very wealthy lost everything, you know, like royal families lost money on Madoff. In Bitcoin, there were some people like that, but the, like in Madoff, I think that was probably the majority. In Luna, it probably is the minority of people putting money in were like these big, you know, whales who came to Bitcoin with billions in their pocket and were just really excited and put all their money into Luna. A lot of the people in Luna were these people who came, they were retail, they put a little money in, they got rich. All of a sudden they had millions of dollars. And then when Luna collapsed, they lost everything. Well, I worry about the world where we have a Luna come along and people with real money finally get here and start throwing their money in. And when we, when this all collapses, this Ponzi, we see a huge, like, just destruction of wealth. And I think that that could very well happen in the next few cycles if we continue to see the scams perpetuate that we've been seeing. Well, so that, that is what Elizabeth Warren said. Yeah, but she's crazy. Is she Potentially, yeah. It depends how you see it. I mean, like, look, I think she's factually wrong on a few things, but... You know, her point was if this if these uh, crypto projects get so big and they collapse, you could cause systemic rigs throughout the economy. And it's a fair point to make. She's correct, but if she cared, she would learn what the technology does. That, I mean, that's that's like she doesn't. She is so when she talks about Bitcoin, she sounds like a geriatric idiot who like stuck her face in a toilet for five years and like brought it up and decided to equivocate on something that she's never heard of. Someone said Bitcoin and she's like, oh, I'll have an opinion on that. You know, like, I don't, I don't fucking yeah, know where she but, got the, but her. The, the truth of this is, because we've been diving into this, the, the truth is most of these senators, their opinions come from their staff. I, I agree. They but like what she needs, to, what she needs to do, if she wants to actually have an opinion on this, that is, that makes sense, that allows her to regulate in a way, allows her to like propose regulation that would matter. 
these people need to actually learn what the tech does. I think, I think in, and I disagree with her, but my empathetic side is that I know how many different issues they're having to deal with. They cannot learn every issue. That they have to have staffers who kind of come up with their opinions and policies. Oh, yeah. And they represent them. So we could say she should learn that, but there's so many things she should learn. I'm saying is, I think if we need to turn this ship around, it's about educating the staffers. Uh, that actually might be true. That that might be the attack vector for. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not a lobbyist, but I imagine that if you are, that's probably a pretty good suggestion. And the staffers like do need to learn it. I I mean, the thing is the 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 rule, you have to shitcoin before you bitcoin. Uh, I think is pretty hard and fast, which means that like we're many years away from getting competent staffers because like they will have to shitcoin. They have to believe that everything is possible. Well, they already are with the U.S. dollar. Uh, that's that's what you believe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, let's uh, let's open it up to the floor. Let's uh, we've got a lot of people. If anyone wants to ask nice. a question, uh, please put your hand up. And uh, if nobody asks a question, I'll go back to Junsa. Freddie Mercury in the back. <laughs> Don't you hate it when that happens? Uh, in Brooklyn, it's actually really good camouflage. But um, my my my, uh, my question for you is talking about like the real wealth destruction, uh, June Seth, um, that could really destroy capital. Like, what order of magnitude of wealth are you talking about? Because I, I uh, from just friends of friends working in the industry, hearing about the number of people who uh, lost tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars in FTX. Uh, not to mention Luna and the various other, you know, shitcoin collapses over the last 12 months. Um, I'm curious, like, what what order of magnitude of, like, rug pull do you think would lead to that? Like, Well, so this is what scares me is that every time Bitcoin gets bigger, the, the risk gets bigger. Like, the, I, I mean, you, how long have you been here? How many cycles have you been through? I don't like to call them cycles because I think that's yeah. stupid, but they kind of have been cycle-y uh, for the last 10 years. So, like, how many have you been through? Uh, class 2017. Okay, class 2017, all right. So, uh, so like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like one one big one, right? So uh, most of us. If you've yeah, if you if you'd been here a little longer, what you would have seen is basically every one of these cycles ends because of something happening, something collapsing. Uh, Mount Gox collapses. Uh, you know, leverage happens, and everyone is leveraged out. Uh, you know, to the tits. And uh, all of a sudden, everyone loses everything and, you know, whatever. In this in this last cycle, we find out that FTX was basically propping the market up and leveraging. And all of these, like, wrapped Bitcoin-type things are just, like, paper Bitcoin, right? So, like, there's just leverage and leverage and leverage and leverage. And it's somewhat unregulated. So what happens is every time Bitcoin pumps, the leverage enters a system. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, it's, like, this time is, what, 10x bigger than the previous time? So we're talking like, like let's say we do this again. We go from $1 trillion to $10 trillion. The amount of leverage in $10 trillion in a system that's like $10 trillion is going to be magnitudinously larger than at $1 trillion. And I don't know, like if we get to $100 trillion, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know what the, the upper limit is. Like think about it. I mean, at that point, like LTCM was, I don't know, like $3 trillion, And we thought that was going to like destroy the American economy. If there's... If there's enough like leverage in the system where like let's say that we get to 100 trillion and it is in fact mostly like weird leveraged bets that got us there somehow like I I think it's a really I think Elizabeth Warren's right that's a huge systemic risk I don't know what that looks like but it it scares me because like at that point the FOMO is like all of America 
everyone's in. Your mom's in, your dad's in, my dad's in. I told him not to do it, but he did it anyways because he's an asshole. A bit like the housing bubble where everyone was in. Exactly, but like at a magnitude, like many magnitudes larger. And it's weird to think that that's a possibility, but I think that every time I've watched like Bitcoin go up and I've watched more and more people get in and I've watched like my friend's like 65-year-old mom insists that she get to buy and like just the number of people that start to come here, the number of old people that come into like our clubhouse rooms and we're uh, doing those and say they want to like liquidate their 401k at the top or that they want to sell their home and mortgage their home at the top. Like I just see leverage on leverage on leverage and everyone seems high impetus to get into leverage at the top and low impetus to get into leverage at the bottom uh, because we're stupid. And I mean, like both, I think leverage on both sides is probably pretty stupid, but we're stupid. So like, this is for some reason what we do. We get into leverage at the top. We don't at the bottom. We are scared at the bottom. And I, I could just see it getting really, really scarily bad. So then is there ever like an escape velocity or is the cyclicality just continue? And you're basically making a case of the same sort of inhale, exhale, continues ah. as Bitcoin still gaps up? Or is there eventually a point where hyper-Bitcoinized world uh, has a lower time preference and people don't lever long into bullshit ape JPEGs? Call it the forever pump. Uh, is there, I, I mean, I dream of a world where there's an ever pump. Uh, I dream of it. I think that it would be really cool if Bitcoin just kind of like got into its groove and was going up at 8, 9, 12, 15, 20% per year for a while. It'd be great. The problem is like Bitcoin's behaved a certain way and I don't know that it's going to continue. I, I don't believe in universal promises. I don't believe that like the Lord of the universe uh, is going to force Bitcoin to act the way it's always acted. I think it could change at any given moment. But so far it's acted this you know particular way. And the only thing that I can think is that it's probably going to continue acting that way for a little while. And maybe there is an ever pump on the other side of this where we just all sit back and Bitcoin goes forever up and we just all become multi-billionaires as it does that. That's great. Or maybe there's not that world. And I just don't know. But what I do know is that what the behavior that I've seen in previous pumps scares the hell out of me when I think of Bitcoin doing this again two or three more times and you know Bitcoin becoming a 10 trillion or 50 trillion or 100 trillion. I don't know how, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a money guy. I don't know how high that can go. But the higher it goes, the more scared I am. And I see the misbehavior now with people taking all of this extra money that they have and putting it into JPEGs and monkey butts and like whatever the hell it is that they're buying. I see collectibles like Rolex watches going up, uh, unprecedented amounts. I see my Beanie Babies now worth quite a bit more than they used to be. I see all sorts of things, baseball cards, Pokemon cards. Like there's no world in which the S&P 500 should be outpaced by like Charizard uh, shadowless, you know, first edition. If you go back to Jeff Booth though, he says when money isn't scarce, everything else is. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like people put their money in rocks and that to me, I don't know what that misbehavior means. Uh, all these Bitcoiners like to say like, oh, that's Weimar Germany. I don't know. I'm not like historically knowledgeable enough to know whether that that this is a perfect echo of Weimar Germany. But it, it, it's misbehavior, and I don't know why, and I don't understand it, but I think it means something. Well, it's a reflection on massive QE, which has been running since 2008. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know what it means. That might be, you might be right, but like, we've been printing money for centuries. You know, we've always had some sort of money printing since, you know, uh, the early 1800s, but right? If, you know, whatever it is. But if you track, there was always periods of surplus, periods of deficit. Sure. We've only had deficit now for two decades. That's true. And and maybe this is the uh, the extent the extent of like 
a, a giant deficit. Like maybe this is what happens. Maybe everyone's right about Weimar Germany. I don't know. But I just, I cannot conceive of a world where over like multiple years, Charizard first edition shadow list Pokemon cards outpace the S&P. And that weirds me out, um, especially by how much it's outpacing, right? Like these collectibles, collectibles are collectibles. They're not supposed to really be stores of value for long periods of time. Um, there's maybe exceptions to this. Like maybe art is an exception. I, I don't know. Uh, there are like sort of like these objects that we've kind of used as bank accounts, houses, you know, art, whatever. Maybe those are exceptions. Maybe Bitcoin sucks the monetary value out of that stuff. I don't know. But I I don't think that the exception should be a Pokemon card, right? Or like a a, a royal blue beanie baby or something like a peanut the elephant. Like these this this is weird to me. And it doesn't seem like good behavior. Not by not just by people, but by an economy. Like an economy shouldn't behave that way. Yeah, that's the point. I think it's a reflection of the economy rather than people. I mean, people De have always collected. Degenerateness shouldn't be rewarded, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, beer. Thank you. Is it an orange pill, is that what you said? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. My favorite too. Um, but yeah, de degenerateness shouldn't be rewarded to this degree. And like what's interesting right now is like generally when you look at a gambler, the gambler walks into a casino, he takes his, uh, you know, $100,000 and that gambler pulls the lever on a few things. And over the course of a night, he loses that $100,000. It might take, you know, 40 hours or something like that, or maybe longer, right? Maybe it's a week, but he loses that money over time. Degeneracy is supposed to be that. You lose the money that like over time you put in or, or at least you break even, you know, best case scenario. But like what I'm watching now is an economy where degeneracy is rewarded to a degree that I'm uncomfortable with. Like I see people aping in, if you will, to these ordinals, uh, doing all sorts of things that should not inure to, to you huge benefit, but it is. And then the people buying from those people aping it or like, like selling them are then turning around and selling them for more to the next idiot. And those people are turning around and selling it for more to the next idiot. And it's just, it's degeneracy that I've never seen and it should not be rewarded to that degree. I don't think in a logical world. This show is brought to you by BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they also have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners, and with 24-7 live chat support, you can get all the help you require. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have my new sponsor, Iris Energy. Now, I'm really pleased to welcome Iris Energy as a sponsor to what Bitcoin did. Now, you've probably noticed recently that we've been increasingly covering Bitcoin mining on the show and as the team at Iris Energy share mine and Danny's values, they're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did and you, the listeners. Now, Iris Energy is a leading owner and operator of institutional-grade, highly efficient Bitcoin mining data centers, which are powered 100% by renewable energy. They manage this by targeting low-cost, underutilized renewable energy, where the company can also do very cool work supporting local communities. They build, own, and operate their electrical infrastructure and proprietary data centers and are led by a seasoned management team with an impressive track record of success across energy, infrastructure, renewables, finance, digital assets, and data centers. 
I love these guys, and they know that Bitcoin mining can be done sustainably, supporting the Bitcoin ecosystem as well as supporting energy transition. If you want to find out more, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y dot C-O. Next up, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. With everything that happened last year in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach, as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also today we have Ledger. Now the importance of self-custody has never been clearer. This last year has been full of reasons to get your Bitcoin off exchanges and Ledger makes that so easy for you. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And I've been a Ledger customer since 2007, and I absolutely love the products, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. But it's happening at a time where degeneracy is being rewarded from within government. And this isn't conspiracy. You can go and look at the trading records of every senator, almost every senator within U.S. government, their trading records. I don't know how to drink this. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> you, meant, you meant to tuck that in. You meant to tuck that in. But the, tra- the trading records of every senator, almost every senator in government, work. has outperformed the S&P. Yeah. And well, for different reasons, though. Like those, yeah, those they people, have good information. Those, those people are trading in non-material public information, right? Of course. But yeah. what I'm saying is, is you're seeing kind of open corruption from uh, what you would probably class as now... I, I agree. ...celebrity politicians... And you're also seeing that there's no punishment for the mistakes they make in government. You're seeing massive that, mistakes. That, from, well, bear, bear with me. Massive mistakes from within the Fed or the central bank in the UK. And we, we're just we're, we're we're now at a time where it's rubbed in our faces that there's a group of people who make a group of decisions for them against yeah. us. And, and the implication for us is people can't afford houses or education. Can't afford like in the UK, people can't afford to feed their children or heat their home. They have to make choices. And so I think it's no wonder if you have degeneracy within your government, you're going to have degeneracy amongst your But it's a, different, it's a different kind of degeneracy. Like, there's there's degeneracy that is legal, right? That's codified in law. Like, if you behave this way, you will make money. And then, like, the senators, like, they make that rule for themselves. They go out. They make money by, like, making bets on things of value, right? Whereas the degeneracy I'm talking about is literally, like, the casino says, hey, everybody— if you come into our casino, we're actually paying out 63% to you. Like you, we we are going to go bankrupt. The, like we are rewarding you for coming and pulling the lever. And like everyone who's like against gambling is like, I don't know about that. I'm not going to go in there. And then everyone who does it walks into the casino and it comes out with bags of cash. Like, oh, they're being honest, bro. They're like, it's true. They're like giving you money. Put 100000 in, you get like 400000 back. And like that's a different kind of degeneracy. Maybe it's like the politicians rewarding us for allowing them to like steal. I don't know. But it's a different kind of degeneracy, and, and it's the kind of degeneracy that scares me. Where's Hoddle? Yeah. He would say that's the nihilism of our time, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Nihilism's rewarded yeah. in some ways. Uh, who has a question here for Junseth? Come on up to the mic, ma'am. Hey guys, quick question. Um, since you're a Bitcoin OG and all of us in the room like Bitcoin, maybe other stuff, I'd be really curious to hear what is your biggest argument against Bitcoin? Like what is, you already kind of alluded to it, but not, not as like what is its fatal point, but if it would fail, like what's the, what's the worst thing about it? Because I think for people that are passionate about something, it's also good to think of like, what is the thing against it? And, and talk about that. I'd love to hear from you as like, so, Someone originally in the so I'm not a libertarian in any way. Uh, and I, I talk to libertarians all the time and they like to tell me about hard money and say stupid like tropic words that they learned from Mises. Uh, and, you know, they've all, the libertarians are funny because they've been poor their whole lives and then they put a bet on Bitcoin and then some of them got very rich and they go like, see, I told you. And you're like, you've been poor for like 80 years, asshole. <laughs> so like, I, I do wonder, like, there's a lot of uh, a thought in the world about, like, the idea of a deflationary currency not being great for an economy. And I wonder what a world looks like with the deflationary money. And if deflationary money is, in fact, what uh, we need. It, it, like, Bitcoin is money. I don't think there's a doubt about it. But it's a difficult world to think of the inability, where, where you have this inability to pull forward time preference, Right. And how do you take loans out in deflationary currency, especially when it deflates this much? How do you take loans out? Like, how do you pull forward your desire to, like, send your you, – you, you have a kid. You have to send him to school. How do you pull forward your inability to pay for school without taking out a loan? Like, you can't. So how do you do that in a Bitcoin world? Just You, you have people that just don't go to school because their parents can never afford it? Like, what, what do you do? Like, you can't buy a house? Like, we just all live under bridges? Uh, or, like, do houses collapse and now they're $4? Like, I, I don't know. But I feel like they're, that loans are an important part of an economy, and I struggle to understand how we do it. And maybe, maybe Bitcoin is money. And maybe what we find out is that, like, debt money, which we've always called fiat money, is also money, and that they're just opposite sides of the same coin, and the government will issue fiat so that they can pull forward, uh, you know, pull forward preference. And maybe that's what we use to, you know, issue loans. I don't know. But I do, I do wonder about the possibility that maybe you can't run a world on deflationary money. That, that one weirds me out regularly because we all, I think, can acknowledge when you think about like time preference and spending habits, it's very difficult to think of a, conceive of a world where money is flowing freely and we're all buying, you know, good things and bad things all the time with this thing that we know is going to be more valuable tomorrow. Do you, do you think Bitcoin might just be this thing that sits on the sidelines like it has been now? It's just an asset people might buy and sell and never really fulfills the full utopian dream, but never really goes away. Yeah, I think it could be that. I think that's possible. I, I don't have an utopian vision. I, I really am like a watcher. Like I'm sitting on the sidelines and watching it. Like, do I think Bitcoin will like eat the world? It could. I don't know. Like it, it has potential. It's certainly capable of it. Do I think that's a good thing? I don't know. I don't know what a, I don't know what a Bitcoin world looks like. I know that it doesn't look like what Safedine thinks it looks like, um, <laughs> but it looks like something. Like, is it good? Maybe. Is it like? Is it going to stop wars? 
Probably not. Libertarians shut up. Like, it's not. People fight. Like, is it going to, like, defund governments? Maybe. Like, I mean, the question that we talked about when we coming to answer was whether, yeah. like, what Bitcoin does for democracy. Yeah, this was a setup. And, yeah, I think, like, I mean, that's that's a question, though. Like, does it give sovereignty back to the individual? Like, what democracy? Are we talking about, like, shitty UK democracy or, like, real American, like, <laughs> Republican democracy? No. Like, American democracy is a very different thing, right? Because we have, like, we the country that we are in was set up uh, on behalf of the sovereign sovereignty of the individual. We want to be sovereign. We were out in the woods, we were killing bars and shooting ducks and like feeding our families. And then like, if you read, uh, if you read Gordon Wood, he talks a lot about the American democracy and the American experiment. And it's important because like um, the American revolution is different than all other revolutions, right? What we said is we looked at like King George and we were like, he's oppressing us. Meanwhile, like we were the freest people in all of the world, maybe next to, like maybe more than the UK, because he wasn't here. There was no one like watching us. We just had to pay taxes. But philosophically, we were so opposed to the notion of being controlled that we we revolted and said like, even that much, even that much uh, touching of us is too much. We, we want utter freedom because that's what we built. We left you, we came here for freedom, we got our guns. That's that's what we want. We like don't want anything to do with you. Philosophically, we were opposed to that. So American like democracy was rooted in this notion of utter and pure sovereignty. So maybe does Bitcoin give that to the world? Maybe. Like maybe it does. Maybe that's maybe that is the completion of the American experiment. Maybe it defunds governments. Maybe it brings us back. Maybe this is like the end of the American Revolution, and the whole world gets to be America. I don't know. Maybe this adds to our understanding of like freedom. This notion that like in America we've codified the things that you're free to do. We've codified them. The idea that there's like this God-given right. Where there's a God-given right to freedom of speech, right? There's a God-given right to protect yourself. These are things that in a state of nature, you have the right and ability to do no matter what. No one can stop you from doing them. And we never, ever had that with money. And Bitcoin, for the first time, gives you the sovereign and and particular right to your finances, to spend, to trade. And that's something we didn't know that the government couldn't take away from you. Bitcoin is the manifestation of the God-given right to have your value. Who's up? There's 50 of you in here. Yeah. Uh, Gary Gensler. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good joke. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone anyone off camera? That wasn't actually Gary. I know that you're wondering. (laughs) Kind of looks a little bit like him. Um, but that that self sovereign point is uh, it's kind of an interesting point for me as a as a British person coming across to America. I'm so sorry, man. It's okay. We forgive you. Um, but you have two forms of democracy where we don't. You have a vote. You have a ballot vote, and you have the ability, like um, Balaji says, you have a, a, a the ability to vote with your feet. So even if you are unhappy with the vote in your state, you can move from state to state. Yeah. And so so for me as somebody from the UK, it's like we only have one form of democracy. It's pretty shitty. Um, and Bitcoin opens up this whole new world where you can rethink and you can you can leave a country with your money intact. You you know we there's a big story in the Ukraine war. Somebody left with their yeah they left uh, uh, the war with their money on their their hard drive. Do you think this opens up therefore opportunities throughout the world? Like this is going to ultimately deliver more forms of democracy in countries where you know we we know that half half the population of the world lives under authoritarianism. Do you think this could open that up? 
Bitcoin allows for the undermining of regime in, in certain ways, right? Like, I think that that's, like, think about it this way. Let's say Bitcoin's a sideline clown show, right? It just sits there. It doesn't really reach the size that we all think it can, whatever. That doesn't matter. Because if, let's say Bitcoin's a dollar and, you know, the blockchain is still chugging along and uh, you're still able to, to get as much of it as you, you can, you know, if you have wealth in Ukraine, you can still put it into Bitcoin and on the other side, sell that Bitcoin and have the same amount of wealth wherever you want. So it is a teleporting transport mechanism for value, which, by the way, makes it useful, right? Which means that it won't be a dollar. But that is a use case for it. So you can do this with Bitcoin. And that, to me, is extremely remarkable and allows you to, like, it, it empowers people to undermine bad regimes when they get bad enough. Um, I don't think we've seen this yet. I don't know if we'll ever see it, but it's kind of like it's kind of like the American affinity for guns. We have guns just in case. And the result is that the government doesn't do things just in case we use our guns. And so there's like a level, there's a level I just, of- I just, as an observer, fundamentally disagree with yeah, that. Because you don't know anything about guns because you're- No, a, no, I do. I, 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 just, I just think uh, you've had plenty of opportunities to- uh, use your guns to oppose the government. It's not happened. We're never and- gonna. We're never gonna do it until it gets too bad. Like that's the point. Mm. Is like the government has can push as far as they want, and there is this like mechanism that's like a elastic, an elastic mechanism that snaps at some point and brings us right back. So like the American, the American sensibility is pretty simple. You can take it as far as you want. Keep going, keep going. But there's a point where it's gonna get snapped back because like it's just too far. I don't know what that point is. But we have that in every country. We have that in the UK and we don't have guns. Uh, I I mean, you, you can believe you have that in the UK. No, I don't we, believe no, you do. No, but we do. I mean, you have it in every country. You can have a revolution without guns. You can certainly have a revolution without guns. Yeah. But in America is very different in that. Like, I think it's a story some Americans tell themselves I think to that, justify. I think, that, I think that foreigners like to think that. No, I, I, I don't think you can own Bitcoin without no, guns. No, I, th- I, th- I think it's used to. I, I do. I, you know, as an observer coming across, I think it's a story some Americans tell themselves to justify endless gun massacres. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to get into a huge gun debate because you'll lose. But um, no, kidding. Like, no. But I, I, I think, I think that that's what's that. Because you got the guns. We got the guns. We're in New York. Nobody's got a gun. No one's got a gun in New York. I don't have a gun on me in case there's any feds here. No, um, but uh, no, but I, I do think that that is, at least for me, like, I, I remember exactly what you're saying, but like the sovereignty really matters. Like Bitcoin is sovereign money in that way. Like you get to have sovereignty over your finances. And I think that's something that we've never had. We've always had, particularly in the digital world, we've always had to like allow someone else to house our money, hold it, and make it easier for us. Holding your own money, as Bitcoiners know, is the hardest thing in the world. Value in contained value wants to explode. It wants to get stolen. It wants to get hacked. It wants you to make a mistake and lose it. And it is the hardest thing in the world. It's a responsibility that I, frankly, makes me understand how we constructed the financial system the way we did. And it, it actually leaves me in awe at the fact that we take our money, we take our contained value, we take millions and sometimes billions of dollars, and we put them in these buildings, and we let those people have that money, holding it for us, and they don't lose it. That blows my mind. Hmm. Right, any more questions? Come on, come on, anyway. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are 
So I, as a Bitcoiner, uh, I, I followed the HODL, you know, pathway, right? So I believe that my time horizons have shifted to the long time, long, long horizon, far out horizon. Four trips to El Salvador have shown me something that's very important about Bitcoin as, they, as we get to the next stage, and that is that spending Bitcoin, spending Satoshis, and spending them for just about everything you do has a dramatic effect on circular economies and circular economies, right? And I'm trying to figure it out myself, but if you think of a supply chain as a linear process where, you know, somebody grows a crop, coffee, let's say, uh, puts it into the combine, it gets, you know, distributed around the world. Supply chains have gotten very efficient, much as social media has gotten very efficient around communications between people. And the sacrifice we make is we give up our, our privacy. We, give, we, we, we do social media for convenience and we pass our valuable data over to a, a Whomever wants runner. it. Huh? We, we don't usually care. China or whoever exactly. else wants it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But in a circular economy, it's much different because instead of the end result being a shareholder that gets a payout from Starbucks, let's say, you know, for the profits of, of Starbucks, it, making that supply chain efficient in a circular economy. And this happens now regularly in El Salvador. And the effects are pretty dramatic in terms of a rising economy and a much more, you know, uh, positive attitude by the people that are in that economy about the future. Um, they can educate their kids now. They can do things. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this spend Bitcoin versus hold Bitcoin forever. Yeah? That's the longest question ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, like I said, like this is the, the deflationary uh, problem, right? Like we, it's, it's hard to imagine, to conceive of a world where like I want to unload my Bitcoin, right? Because it's going to be worth more tomorrow than today. Meanwhile, oh no. <laughs> You nearly killed us. Uh, good catch. That, that was, was a good very catch. good catch. Well done. <laughs> so, Get that man a beer. And I, I hate to give him credit, but Roger Veer said, I think in 2014, right before Vitalik went up and pitched us Ethereum, he was talking about at, at the 2014 uh, TNABC, uh, the North American Bitcoin Conference. He says, you know, if you want to spend Bitcoin, he says, spend it. And then just buy back what you would have in Bitcoin immediately. And I always thought that was that was an interesting piece of advice because it was it was one of those things that kicked me in the nuts. I was like, how come I've never thought of that? Like, how stupid that if I'm going to spend and I want to have you know my Bitcoin, I can just take the money that I would have spent on the hot dog if the hot dog is for Bitcoin and immediately buy the Bitcoin back and and be you know no worse for wear. That removes that problem of uh, the 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 timing. But there's a lot of things I think right now that like make it really difficult to spend the uh, tax treatment in America of Bitcoin, all sorts of other things. What we need for Bitcoin to do is we need we need Bitcoin to disrupt in a way that causes governments to, to deal with the consequences of doing things like spending. And for me, until that stuff's worked out, until we have maybe more privacy, maybe via Lightning Network or you know something like uh, confidential transactions, a lot of that stuff like until that stuff has kind of worked out. I, I think the best move for me is to just hold and wait until those things are worked out. And I know that these things are coming and that's the alpha that I have in Bitcoin. I think that like a lot of people find it hard to hold a lot of, there's a lot of things about Bitcoin that are hard. And that's why like, for me, 
I think the compensation of holding Bitcoin is in waiting for those things to get worked out and knowing that most of the public doesn't even know those questions exist. And uh, that, that to me, like, where's the value in Bitcoin? The value in Bitcoin is as those things get worked out, Bitcoin is better and better and better money. So hodl, spend, I mean, do, do what your heart tells you, I guess. But for me, until Bitcoin is, uh, is kind of like cooked and finished, uh, I'm holding. I, I think you need to do both because we need to support Bitcoin companies as well. So you have to spend a little. I don't think that Bitcoin companies or Bitcoins that accept Bitcoin, or companies that accept Bitcoin. No, you know what I mean though. Like it helps support things. Like this pub key is supported by Bitcoin is coming down here. One hundred percent. I think this is great. Bitcoiners yeah. come down here, but like, what do you spend at the bar? You get, I, I gave my credit card. Oh yeah, but like I know some <laughs> people do. Like at the football club, we have a number of transactions. I, I think it's great. Like yeah. I, I think uh, someone said this recently about. Uh, about one Bitcoin business, and the, the, the Bitcoin business does a, a business where they allow you to bid on NFTs and such, right? And they only accept Bitcoin. Well, that's stupid. You should accept whatever form of money someone wants to pay you. Yeah. Um, as, unless unless you don't believe in like Bitcoin or something, then don't take it. Whatever. But but it's useful, like to have companies like OpenNode and IBEX, and, and you know, we need like transaction processes. There, there are Bitcoin. Going. There are companies that require that you pay in Bitcoin, right? Like Lightning is a good example. Companies that like you want to do things. Like you want to create sort of this economy where like you want to open up a channel, whatever, you need to pay them in some kind of medium. Well, this is going to be a Bitcoin channel. Bitcoin channels, you know, you, like what you're putting at risk is Bitcoin. That's what you're putting in there. Mm. It's sort of like yield, right? So there is this like this idea that like those types of companies can exist. But I think a majority of Bitcoin companies um, should support the infrastructure of Bitcoin. And I mean, like I talked about it earlier, insurance, right? Like th this is... I think insurance in Bitcoin is a, an important thing, but that's a capital market. It's not like it's not trading in Bitcoin. It's trading in dollars. You know, I think I think maybe the biggest Bitcoin company in the world is the oil markets. Like I think the energy markets are you know in fiat, right? And uh, and there's a lot of ways in which Bitcoin can touch that. Like where where do you think like Bitcoiners are spending? Bitcoiners are e eating up energy in all sorts of places. Wherever there's subsidized energies, there too also is a Bitcoin miner. And what do you think? I mean, the, the energy companies, maybe someday they'll accept Bitcoin for payment. But the reality is that they're, they're the, the best thing. That, I mean, what they're doing is they're accepting fiat right now. So the Bitcoin company, the mining company, is paying the energy company. Well, I think that makes the energy company a Bitcoin company. I think that these are like all of these like markets all over the world. There are ways in which Bitcoin is going to start touching them and making those companies very wealthy. And they're going to be wealthy in fiat. And Bitcoin's the reason for their wealth. So those are Bitcoin companies. And that like to me, the idea of like a circular economy that's all Bitcoin, that might be, a, that's a dream that's far off. I'm excited about that world. Uh, where maybe Bitcoin's a little bit more stable. Maybe tomorrow it's not going to be 300% worth, 300% more than it is today. But like the world in which uh, the circular economy is Bitcoin's far off. And right now I think we have to accept that Bitcoin companies are fiat companies. And wherever Bitcoin touches fiat companies, that's where that is, you know, we are, we are Bitcoiners. We are joining the world. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, are you familiar with Mark Moss's uh, three revolutionary cycle theory? I know you are because it's been on your show, but not not supremely like uh, just like me. the political, financial, technological revolution all converging at the same time. Right now, never never heard of it, but that that sounds pretty good. Well, in short, basically every two hundred and fifty years or so, a political revolution happens. Um, a, fi a financial revolution happens around like every 80 years and a technological revolution happens around every 50 years, you know, give or take a few years. And for the first time since I think the industrial revolution, they're converging now 
So I wanted to know your thoughts on Bitcoin being like the catalyst of these three revolutionary cycles converging, uh, where we're going from a peak centralization, he says, it's like a pendulum and we're swinging back to decentralization. Obviously the financial part speaks for itself with Bitcoin and the technological part speaks for itself. So it has like a little piece of all three and I wanted to know your thoughts on that. I nearly always reject anything that talks about cycles. And I, I don't believe in cycles. I don't believe in them at all because it's like astrology. And uh, so, I mean, like, there, I think that there are, those are types of revolutions that can happen. Technological revolution that's been happening, I think it's a continual process. Like, Apple starts in, what, the late 70s or, you know, 80s uh, and grows to where it is today. Like, I think the, the personal computer is a technological revolution. You know, all of this stuff, like, computers generally... Um, I don't know where you would pinpoint the revolution for any of these things happening. The Industrial Revolution starts in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. It's, uh, you know, it's it's these like little mills that have leather bands between things and are using water basically to, you know, run run these, you know, whatever, like these looms and such. I don't think, I don't think you can point to a, a moment where that is a revolution. It, it, it's a revolution for a hundred years. Right. Can I just, just yeah. to add, so the technological revolution part is like, he says, he uses the iPod as a good example. Like it's a great technology, but it's not a technological revolution. So a technological revolution is something that changes the course of humanity and it drives financial markets. So 60 years ago, we had the microprocessor, which led to computers. 60 years before that, we had uh, steel, I think it was the steel and engines or oil, something like that. 60 years before that, uh, electricity. So it's not just a new technology. It's something that changes the course of humanity and, and leads financial there's markets. There's all sorts of these. Like you have the air conditioner. The, the invention of the air conditioner is one of the greatest moments in human history. For the first time, you have the entirety of Latin America and South America opened up to business. And there's all sorts of these, these moments. And if you look at GDP over history from like year zero to now, like it's not like we have a lot of great data from year zero. But like you can look at, like you can kind of chart it out. And it's like that, 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 that. And then, you know, you hit the Industrial Revolution and like every, it, it's, it's a parabola, right? It, like that's how it is. And that's, to me... Everything is much more gradual. I don't think that there is, I don't believe in these like moments of revolution where you can say like, this is the invention. Like when did the, com the combustion engine, the train, like all of these things come at moments where like there's sort of these conglomerations of inventions that exist and are out there. And someone at some point would have invented the train, whether it was the original inventor or like it had happened a little bit later. But like these things are all on the table and they're on the table because of like the like this gradual move towards uh, towards progression, uh, towards progress. And when you look at the chart of something like GDP, there's not moments where it just goes boop and just like pops way up. What you see is it's just gradual. Year after year, it's gradual, no matter what's invented. There's no moment where you can circle it and go, there's the revolution. There's This is the year where everything changed. It's literally the most gradual chart you've ever seen. And then it is up and, up and straight up, but it's up and straight because it's a parabola. That's how progress always works. And I don't see a moment in history where there that, and I, I say the same thing with Bitcoin. Where like Bitcoin is a new invention. I think it's revolutionary. I think it's incredible, but you see the adoption. What's happening in the wake of Bitcoin coming up, there are scam after scam after scam that completely reduce, like they completely mute the effect of Bitcoin and what it could be doing for humanity. It's stealing money from people. All of these scams that people are leveraging their money into are taking money from people. And that's the result of this revolutionary technology. Bitcoin exists. These scams persist. They're going to persist for a long time. People will take money. Bitcoin is going to advance the world at a slightly higher rate than it was before. And it's going to be amazing.
for all of us. We're going to be like, you know, like think about like a 2% change. That means the world's GDP, the world's, like the, the things that we would have done double in terms, instead of uh, 72 years from now or whatever it would be, like the, the, a doubling of what we have today just because like Bitcoin improves things 2% worldwide is going to happen over the course of the next, what, 36 years. You know, if it's 4%, it's even better. And like, so these nominal changes in history, they increase the parabol parabolic effect of any of these, any moment like of the future. We get a future that looks very different much faster, but I don't think that you can point to a point in history easily and say, this is the invention that changed the world. All right. So there's a crypto meetup down in the bar. I think we should go and fight them. Before we close awesome. out though, let's give a massive shout out to PubKey. Yes, uh, for thank you. And Thomas. They, they've let us record out their spot all week. And I think if you live in the city, make sure you get down here and support these guys. Yes, a big thanks to Jun Seth. Uh, if he offended, if he didn't offend you, I don't know who you are. <laughs> if he's offended you, then uh, that's just Jun Seth. Uh, thank you all for coming in. Thank you to my friend Rich Roll for coming in. Thank you for Luke for coming in. Thank you to everyone who came in. Thank you for Jeremy for doing all the camera work all week. Um, Thank you all for coming. This is the first one of these. We've learned a lot in a very short amount of time. If you've got any feedback, good or bad, just drop me an email, you know I reply. Uh, let's go and get a drink. All right, what do you think of that? Do you enjoy that? Good old John Seth. <laughs> that guy, man, he's so funny. What a legend. Uh, if you haven't ever listened to the Bitcoin Uncensored show I made with him a while back, because he used to make a podcast called Bitcoin Uncensored, which was... Yeah, the biggest podcast at the time would still be the biggest Bitcoin podcast at the time if they were still running it. Go and check that out. It was a, it was a funny show to make. Anyway, I really enjoy these. We're going to be doing a lot more. As I said in the intro, we've got one on April the 14th in Bedford in the UK. Ben Ark is coming. We've got a couple of other surprises, a couple of other guests we're planning on as well, which is pretty cool. We've got four days of activities because it's around the final Rail Bedford home game of the season. So hopefully some of you can come to that. And then we've got another show, well, another WBD live show in Miami around the conference. So, yeah, go and check that out. That's on the website, whatbitcoindid.com. Click on WBD Live. You can find out more about that. And also, if you want to start discussing these shows, get some exclusive bonus content, please do head over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. As I said, questions about this, anything else, please do drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com.